Good morning, Veritas. How are we doing today? Happy day after Christmas. Uh, my name is Ryan Hamby. I help lead the college ministry here. And if I'm preaching on Sunday, that means Mark and Jeff had no interest in giving a sermon the day after Christmas. So here we are, excited. And if you would, right away, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Second Peter uh, or look to the screens. I'd love to kind of frame in where we're going today with this one verse to start things off, okay? Second Peter 1, verse 3 says this. His divine power has, has given us everything. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Okay, what we have here is an amazing verse. An amazing verse coming to at us, I think, at an amazing time, a week right before a brand new year, right? January 1st is coming up quick, and with it comes, well, like all the spikes of motivation, uh, our lofty goals, and of course, all the, well, for me, the inevitable failures that the next year is going to bring. But tis the season, right, in the midst of kind of our holiday hangover, after all the traveling and Christmas, to look ahead with optimism and say, okay, yes, next year will be different for me, right? It's like we have almost this sense of excitement that comes when we think that with slightly better goals, with a little bit better work ethic, more effort, then we will finally, then I will finally become the person that I want to be or that I know I ought to be. But here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that way of thinking. Here's exactly why 2 Peter 1.3 is so timely for us today. It's this, that God has never intended for you to become better on your own. Right? It was never in God's design for us to be a people who, by our own power, our own effort, or our discipline to grow up into great or godly people. No, it's actually a lot better than that. What Peter wants us to realize is that God very much intends for us to live full lives and godly lives, but it had always been so by his divine power. Christian, do you realize what you have this morning? Like, do you realize what's in your possession? Second Peter 1.3 says that by definition, the Christian is someone who, past tense, has received something amazing. The very power of God in their lives. It's yours. It's yours. It's been given to you, and it came to you, not by your own efforts, not by something you earned, or by your own goodness. It came to you simply because God himself, what does it say? Called you by his own glory and goodness. And so what Peter, with this letter and this chunk of scripture this morning, what he urgently intends to do in his final letter before he is executed, and what we plan to do for the next two weeks here, kind of in between series, is simply remind you of the greatest truths that you have ever heard, okay? We want to remind you of the greatest truths you've ever heard. That yes, the Christian has every single thing we need for lives of godliness. But there's a problem. We are experts at forgetting. We're experts at forgetting. And when I forget the most basic, simple, profound truths of this whole Christianity thing, what happens, right? I quickly become complacent. 
and lazy, right? How quickly do I forget what God has done for me? How quickly do I forget this God who loves me so much? And so this is what we need this new year. This is what we need today, Veritas. And this is our big idea this morning. Experts at forgetting need constant reminders. Experts at forgetting need constant reminders. That's exactly what we are going to get. So let me read this first verse again. Let me add the verse that follows with it. So first, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4 say this. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Okay, so here we are told exactly what happens when this divine power enters onto the scene. Peter's saying that by God's power working in us, we get both one, to share in this divine nature with him, and two, escape from the corruption that is in this world around us. Okay, think about this for a second. What God has in store for the Christian is not just a slightly better moral life, right? He wants to share in his divine nature with you. The eternally good, loving, vibrant, powerful God wants to share his very life with you. He wants you to live a life of distinct holiness and godliness, a life that is different. Different from what? From the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire, it says. God knows what happens when we're left to our own efforts, right? Like when it's all up to us. When we put some elbow grease in, like we know what happens. We try to live godly lives on our own. No matter how hard we try, there is no escaping this corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. We're stuck. We're stuck and we can't dig ourselves out of this hole. In fact, the harder we try to dig ourselves out by our own power, the deeper we get. We need this divine power. And friends, what a God we have. What a God who is meeting us this morning because he has already given us this divine power. This is our first reminder we need from Peter. That with God's power, you're never really stuck. With God's power, you're never really stuck. Okay, has anybody here ever driven their car into some snow or some mud and kind of got stuck? No, me neither. But we all know somebody who has, right? Okay, the story is always the exact same. Maybe you slide off into the, into the ditch, or I don't know, get stuck in some mud, and we all have the same first reaction. The driver presses their foot down on the gas a lot harder. But we all know what that actually does, right? It actually spins the wheels, and sooner or later, we find ourselves even deeper. The car gets more stuck the harder we press on the gas. And it's hilarious when this happens to us, obviously, right? But maybe it's not like the car in the mud this morning that's actually stuck. Maybe that we know what it's like to be stuck like in your soul, like in your own very life. Like that no matter how hard we try, we can't stop that one sin that we promised to stop. No matter how hard we try, we can't break that addiction on our own effort. We can't change. We keep hurting those around us. I think to one degree or another, every Christian, if we're being honest, knows what it feels like to be stuck. 
And what every car stuck in the mud needs is exactly what every sinner stuck in a corrupt and evil world needs. Like we need saving from someone on the outside, right? Like we need a tow truck to come and pull us out. We need a God who loves to save stuck people who can come and get us and meet us in our need and pull us out by his divine power. So this power might sound cool, might be something that we want in on. But the obvious question then is how? How do we get in on this divine power? If with God's power, we are never really stuck, no matter what comes our way, how do we actually step into this new life? Well, there's one line we skipped over so far. So look back at verse four with me. Verse four says, by these, he has given us very great and precious promises. So that through them, these promises, you may share in the divine nature. Because our escape from evil corruption and our sharing in the divine nature has been delivered by a very specific, tangible, bottom shelf vehicle for us. The great and precious promises of God. Veritas, what you hold in your hands this morning, like what we are actually looking at here in God's word is a treasure chest of God's great promises. From cover to cover, it's loaded with the promises of God, full of divine power. Like, how do I actually know? How can we actually know that God loves to save stuck people? That we're not actually ever really stuck? Well, because we read about it over and over and over again from God's own mouth as he makes promises to us in these pages. Okay, this was so fun. When I was studying this, when I first came across this passage, I just decided to stop for a whole day after reading that verse kind of like open up a new doc on my computer, a new note on my phone, and just make a list of every single promise that I could think of off the top of my head. And it wasn't that many, don't worry. So I had to like shuffle through, look in the back of the Bible, and just keep like hunting, like go on a promise hunt, if you will, and just write down every single promise that I heard or that I read from God. And I'm telling you, it was such a rich experience. It was so much fun. Like promises that speak to me Wherever I am in life, wherever you are in life, there are promises for you, right? Some of the ones I came across, like if I'm feeling stuck in anxiety or worry in this world, Philippians 4, 7 came to mind. It says, don't worry about anything actually, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding Here's a promise, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I need that so often. Or how about when I feel stuck in fear? Like the world, like death is just getting closer and closer and tragedy is getting closer. Okay, what about that? Okay, how about 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55? This one is poetic. This one's wonderful. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written, here's a promise, will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. For how about when we feel stuck in repetitive sin? What a sweet and simple this one is. Simple promise this one is. Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. 
Friends, you may feel stuck this morning. I'm telling you with God's power, you are never really stuck. So let's keep reading and see how Peter actually follows this crescendo of God's saving power. What is he going to say next? Verses five through nine say this. For this very reason, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. So if God has past tense saved us, if God has promised us all these wonderful things, if God has past tense given us everything we need to live lives of godliness, then what now? Well, Peter is thrilled to tell us what now the disciple on his deathbed with the limited amount of breath that he has remaining wants to encourage us with these three words, make every effort. Make every effort. Okay, wait, you're pushback. I thought being a Christian was all about receiving, right? Like I thought it wasn't about effort. I thought I was stuck in the mud and needed someone outside of me to come and pull me out. I thought I needed rescue. I thought my efforts actually only made me more stuck. Yes, absolutely. You're thinking rightly about that. But what Peter is saying here is simply this. You have received divine power. Now let's put the divine power to work. Our second reminder from Peter is this, that with God's power, our apathy actually turns into effort. With God's power, our apathy turns into effort. Okay, this idea of giving effort in the Christian life is often misunderstood, okay? So let me try and illustrate it like this. Okay, maybe there's five people or less in the room because we're in Iowa City, Iowa, who have ever like attempted to surf, right? Um, Attempt is a strong word because nobody here, even if you've attempted, are any good at it, including myself, but um, not the most relatable idea. But some of us have tried, and humor me here, this is exactly how surfing works. (laughs) Like I'm speaking like a professional. Uh, You put on your wetsuit, step one, because the water is ice cold usually. You grab your board, and you run out into the ocean with all your friends. And you're out there, you get past the waves, and then the wild, start, the wild part starts to happen. You start to see these little molehills, little swells coming on the horizon. And as you're sitting there on your board, and you see this little swell come closer and closer, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and you start to get pumped up. Because this thing is about to become a wave. And you realize that you are afraid for your life because you realize this thing is about to just completely throw you down to the bottom of the ocean. But now it's go time. You don't have a choice. No turning back. So you turn your little board around and you paddle like your life depended on it. And let's just assume we did this perfectly. You paddle into the wave. You stand up on your board. You feel like you're on top of the world and you look over and all your friends are smiling and applauding for you. It's a magical experience. But imagine this, okay? Imagine this, I put my wetsuit on, I grab my board, and I don't run out into the ocean, but I run straight into the coral of a reservoir with my board. 
what would happen next would be the saddest couple hours that you have ever seen in your life. Could you imagine me out there in the Corvo Res, just paddling around, paddling around as hard as I could, beat red, just giving it my all, every single thing of energy that I could exert, just giving it, paddling like my life depended on it. But I never actually surf a wave. Why? Because it's a lake. It's a Coralville Reservoir, obviously. There's no waves. There's no power. No matter how much effort I put into paddling out there, nothing is going to happen. And this is what Christian effort is like. Coming alongside something or someone more powerful than you and being caught up in that someone's great force. Yes, we paddle and paddle and pull for all of our effort, of course, but without the power of the way pushing us and carrying us, there is no surfing. What a delight. What an invitation. That God has invited us into living alongside him in this very power. And it's when we realize this, when we realize what he is actually trying to get us caught up into, apathy is not an option. And our apathy actually is transformed into effort. And Peter gets very specific next, right? He gets very specific to tell us what it looks like for apathy to become effort, to get caught up in the divine nature. He lists seven qualities, seven virtues for us to pursue, right? That these virtues will mark a godly life. And so let's just go through these kind of rapid fire a little bit and see what we can do to add these virtues to our lives this upcoming year, okay? So the first one that we see, if we're to add these things, to supplement these things to our faith, is goodness. Okay, goodness, sweet. Let's start with a lob ball. This one's very easy, I think, I hope. Goodness, I think if you look up in the original Greek or whatever, it's something like the opposite of badness, right? It's not complex. This one is not rocket science at all. This is as bottom shelf as it gets for us, which still makes it ironic how sometimes we might have our faith and need to be reminded to show goodness. Like plain and simple, we talk about faith often. But the real question burning is, does the faith that we have change us for the better at all? Or is it just lip service? We need to add goodness. And how are we going to add goodness this year? Well, how about this? And this is going to be bottom shelf stuff here, okay? How about this? How about next time you read the Bible? Next time we are reading the Bible, underline something that you can do that day. That day, just something you can do. Anything that you can do that day. And do it. It'd be amazing, like taking the advice of God and actually putting forth goodness. Or just do the dishes or clean your room. I don't know. This one's pretty simple. Okay, kids, do the dishes. My nephews did the dishes for me on Christmas, and I've never felt so loved. So do the dishes, do something, do anything. Okay, next we get knowledge. This one is fascinating to me. You've all heard the expression of blind faith, right? Like Christianity is just this shot in the dark, this leap of blind faith. We've all heard that. Well, this is great because this is the opposite of blind faith, right? I think sometimes we might be afraid to learn too much, to like get too much information about God, right? Because what if we get smart enough to where we don't need faith anymore? 
Like, what if we have learned everything and we don't actually need the faith that God says we need? Well, that is not this God. That is not this God. This God wants your faith to be strengthened by knowledge. He wants you to learn about him, to study him, and to even personally sit down with him, ask him questions, and get to know him. Okay, how can we add knowledge this year? What can we do? Well, this is what you can do. This week, or whenever you meet back up, go to your connection group leader, or one of the really smart pastors here like Jeff, and ask them for a good book recommendation this year. And I'm telling you, I'm really good at this, asking for book recommendations, but here's the catch. Read it, okay? Read it and done, boom. You've got more knowledge. I'm telling you, don't let this puff up your head. It is amazing what good theology can do to stir our souls in our worship and to actually grow us in godliness. Okay, third, we get self-control. Self-control. Let me ask you this. When you see something that you really want, right, food, sex, something expensive, whatever, do you think, like in your guts, do you think true freedom would be just going and getting that thing that you want. If you could just be free of God's laws or commands, or if you could just be free of the commitments that are holding you back that you are bound to, then you would be free, right? No. Guys, when we are being led and controlled by our impulses and our fleshly desires, we are acting as slaves. What self-control is, is saying no to something. But we're saying no to something because we are in submission to something far better. To put it plainly, Jesus is Lord. And nobody else, not even me, rules this body. Okay, how can we add self-control this year? Well, how about this? This might be a lofty goal in the eyes of the world. But what about this? What if we could be a people, Veritas, that actually won the battle of the night? And what I mean is, could this be a year with no drunkenness, no pornography, no sexual sin for us? Would our nights specifically be marked by holiness and not a lack of self-control? It might be a lofty and wild thing for some of us to hear as maybe we're just starting to follow Jesus. But I'm telling you, I think with divine power in our lives, radical purity and self-control are readily available for you. Okay, next we get endurance. Endurance, hmm. The virtue all of us for sure want. We recognize the ability to keep going through hard things as a good thing, but we never want to be in a place to use it. You don't want to be in the middle of a marathon. You want the endurance of a marathon runner, but you do not want the training or the dire need of said runner. The Bible is loaded with endurance talk. Why? Because the Christian life is actually really hard and sometimes feels really, really long. But don't worry, because if you're here this morning and you feel your spiritual lungs and your spiritual muscles just about to explode, and you really, really need endurance. Don't worry. It probably doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. 
but it might be proof that you're actually doing something right. Like even Jesus needed endurance. Like how can we add it this year? Well, Hebrews 12 talks about that. It describes Jesus as enduring by looking to the joy that was set before him. Right, like when we think of him going up that hill with the cross, what was the endurance that he had? It was the joy that was set before him. Jesus knew what awaited him after his cross. He knew the pain was coming. But he also knew what awaited him after his cross, and we can too. Go back to what we talked about earlier, those precious promises. If we want to grow in endurance, let's rehearse what we know is coming our way. Let's read our Bibles and stop at every single promise we read. Let's make those notes in our phone and those Google Docs and keep a running diary this year if you want. And those days come when you don't want to read your Bible and you're just really tired and you're just not feeling it. What a perfect time for endurance. Do it anyway. Okay, next, fifth, godliness. Godliness. Well, it's amazing how much time you... Uh, how would I say it? Like the more time you spend with someone, the more you start to look like them. It's amazing how that works. And so speaking of sharing in this divine nature, this is exactly how we can do that. We can spend time with God. It's amazing. And I think a lot of us, you know, for good reason, think the best way to spend time with God is just to sit down and to focus as hard as we can, as early as we can, because that's the most godly way. But I think we need the creative freedom this year to like, I don't know, be crazy and go on a prayer walk. Like walk around with your eyes open actually and just talk to the Lord and listen to the Lord. Spend time with the Lord and actually begin to grow in godliness and look more like him. Try a prayer walk. Even in the Iowa winters, you might actually love it. Okay, sixth, brotherly affection. Moving right along. This one might sound odd, but it's an incredibly practical virtue to add. God wants to do life with you. Not just give you a bunch of rules, but to live a relational life and fellowship with you. And he also made us in his image to do that with one another. It's written in our bones. That's what we were created to do. I'm telling you, the only way to make brotherly affection impossible, impossible, is to not be around any brothers and sisters. Okay, so when you come to church, you go to Connection Group, and you're like having that moment where that endurance is kicking in, and you just don't think, I can listen to one more story from these people. Like, I can't listen to one more sermon. Like, oh my gosh, my attention is going everywhere. And I just want to get out of here and go home that you realize you would never be in this living room with these people ever if it weren't for Jesus. I want to say congratulations. You are in a place to practice brotherly affection. Okay, finally we get love. The dead center bullseye of God's heart, love. I'm telling you, this is how I need to add love this year. I just want to come into a room wanting to be a servant. Right, like this, it's like so my style, just walk in wherever I'm going, even Veritas, and just assume everyone there is my servant. Everybody there is there to make me happy or to make me laugh. That's me, but that's not Jesus at all. Jesus loved me by serving me at the very cost of his life, and I just want eyes and a heart to do the same. So church, let's just ask one another how we're doing Maybe even this morning we can start. Just ask one another how we're doing. 
and actually be ready for their answer to be inconvenient to you. To actually be able to bear the burden of one another in love. What an amazing community that would create. Okay, Peter says, after all these seven things, that if we grow in them, they will keep us from being useless and unfruitful. But on the flip side of that, if we lack these things, church, we are useless and unfruitful. What a terrible thing to hear that I can actually live such an apathetic life with the Jesus banner over. I can live such an apathetic life. So full of complacency that I am useless that when the evil one looks at me, he thinks, oh man, just leave him be. He is absolutely no threat. What a terrible thing to hear that I could live such a safe life that I never experience the fruit of knowing God and I settle for a distant and cold religion. Peter says that if we don't do these things, if we do not add these virtues to our life, then we are blind, we are short-sighted, we are forgetting the covering, the cleansing of our sin. That day after day, Jesus could be right in front of me and I could miss him and his power and his love. Unfortunately, if I'm being honest for me and maybe many of us in the room, that apathy is actually what often describes our Christian life. That's so what we need these last two verses this morning. We need 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11 as we close. And it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Amen. Does anybody here ever struggle with doubt? Of course you do. (laughs) Like all of us at one time or another struggle with doubt, and Peter has something to say about that. He says that your doubt can actually begin a downward trend starting right now a downward trend headed towards nothing today. How? By it says, making every effort to confirm your calling and election. He says that living in step with God's power and living a godly life actually has a positive effect in you. That the effort you put forth, the adding of these virtues to your life will give you something magical called assurance. Assurance, that's when you, the saved, beloved child of God, actually believe it. And as your faith grows, your doubt dies. As godliness reigns, the corruption and evil that once gripped your life bows in submission to this God. This is our third and final reminder this morning from Peter, that with God's power, you never doubt your welcome home. One of the things I am most sure of in this life most sure of, is that I am a part of the Hamby family. Okay, maybe it's the forehead, the hairline, the nose. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure that I am a Hamby. Okay, and so when I go home for our late family Christmas this week, what do you think is going through my head? Well, I can tell you what it's not. It's not, oh my goodness. I really hope the Hamby family lets me in this year. 
Like, I really, really hope that they still love me. I really, really hope that the door is open for me. Of course not. I don't ever have to worry about how my family is going to receive me at Christmas. No, I know my parents will hug me. At least one of my sisters will hug me. Their kids will run to me. Their dogs will jump on me. But imagine this. Imagine this. I go cold for years. Ten years go by, a whole decade, and I have skipped every holiday. I've changed my phone number. I haven't reached out. I haven't talked to anyone in the family once. I've missed the nephew's graduations. I've missed the pets dying or whatever. How do you think my family would respond to me showing up to Christmas that year? I don't know. But from my end, after being a ghost for a decade, what do you think would be going through my head as I walked up to our house that year? I tell you for sure, no way around it. I would have so much doubt. I would doubt so hard as to whether or not I should still be considered part of the Hamby family. If I would be welcome to family Christmas at all. And Christian, this is what's true. That many of us live lives that add absolutely no assurance to our relationship with our father. Many of us don't live like we actually want to enter this eternal kingdom that awaits us. But this is what's actually true for you today. This is what's true. That you can know exactly how your king, your father, and your brother will welcome you. You know how he will receive you. He will roll out the red carpet and he will love you as entry into his eternal kingdom will be richly provided. And even now, our efforts to get caught up in this reality are like a sprinting towards the finish line. We almost practice now for our future home by adding these things to our lives. Because honestly, how could we wait? This is the confidence that can change the Christian's life today. With God's power, you never need to question your welcome home. You never need to question what awaits you after this life. And so the final question is this, is this true for you today? This assurance. Have you been saved by Jesus from this corrupt and evil world and now share in this divine nature? Does coming before this king after death, like you imagine yourself going there, waking up after you close your eyes in this life and you see Jesus, does that bring you peace and excitement? Or does that absolutely terrify you? Well, the great news is this, that today is a great day for salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. His death on the cross can pay for the sins that you are stuck in. His divine power can sweep you up today. And he longs for you to confidently run into his eternal kingdom. And so I hope that we can be encouraged by these reminders today. And maybe if it's the first time you've even heard them, that you would be saved by this divine power and eagerly await this kingdom that will be richly provided for you. Let's pray, Veritas. Father God, um, man, every single day, I think one of my biggest problems, if I'm being honest, is that I just forget what you say to me. 
I forget who you are. I forget who you say that I am. I forget the cross that Jesus hung on the cross out of his love for me to restore my relationship with you. I forget that. And so, Lord, I need your spirit just to change me. I need your divine power to come and open my eyes so I would not be blind or short-sighted and forget the cleansing of my sin, but I would be joyful, that I would be confident. And, Lord, as we, as this church, looks back with fondness over the last year or with regret, would we be a people who just love to master the restart? People who are so in step with the good news of the gospel that we just say right now, yes, your mercies today are new. They never come to an end. Great is your faithfulness. And so Lord, even now as we sing a couple more songs together and leave this place for the week, would you fill us with divine power? Would that divine power get to work in our lives when we come alongside you? And would you give us assurance of our home to come?